Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. And away we go on a Friday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Glad to be with you. You want to be part of the show this afternoon? You can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That's the, uh, the number for you to be a part of the show. A lot of good things happening at C Spire, including your ability to save $100 on the iPhone of your choice. Don't miss out on that opportunity. It won't last forever. I am coming to you from Lexington, Kentucky this afternoon. Tomorrow, Ole Miss and Kentucky will play at 3 o'clock. Games on the SEC Network. Mr. Haydad is in Starkville. Mr. Borky is in Jackson. And we are all excited about another college football weekend, week two in the Southeastern Conference. And I'm still sitting here laughing at a video I just saw. Um... The SEC coaches teleconference happened, and it's usually the most boring content item that is done during the week. And nothing really gets said. It just, you know, it's kind of nothing. And it's not on Zoom or anything. So the coach, you don't see their faces. It's just a traditional call-in, ask-questions deal. Yeah. Apparently, Does it happen on Wednesday every week, I, I think? think so. I, I mean, I, I listen to them, and just n- nothing that we don't already know ever gets said because it's guys that cover other schools asking coaches questions. It's very... A- anyway, so apparently Lane Kiffin was late this week, just by a few minutes, and when he finally got on the teleconference, um, you hear a toilet flush in the background. No! Yes! So Lane Kiffin was in the bathroom doing the teleconference. Yeah, coaches have business to handle. You know, you got game planning, recruiting, those take time. You don't have time out of the day to give away. I've been wrestling with the idea of whether or not we should play it. I, I think it's safe because you don't hear it's anything other than the flush of the toilet. You know what I mean? Like, so You don't hear You don't hear anything Mullen else. say... As Mullen would say, you don't hear any strain. But, but he, he's talking about how Kentucky's a unique challenge, and you hear whoo, whoo, in the background. He he is out of cares to give. <laughs> he should have just played it off and be like, you want to know what we're going to do to Kentucky this week? And then you hit the button. See, I have a feeling he got got by one of those automatic flushers, you know? He might have. I have yeah. a feeling he didn't reach behind and hit it, that he stood up and walked away, and there it goes. Oh, I don't know. I think it would be very on brand if he did. It just did. Yeah, whatever. Not, not not worried about it. Yeah. Not worried about it. You called me. That's a, You can't help it what I'm doing when you <laughs> called me. Yeah. I, I'm not the one that put this schedule together, just uh, just so we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Have you ever found yourself in that position? I am constantly on the phone when in the bathroom. Yeah. I talked to my dad for like a half hour when I was in the bathroom uh, like two days ago. There's no shame in it. I put James I, I th- to bed. I think you know, it's possible. I, mean, I, I think it's possible that we've gone as far as we need to go on this topic. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's it, pretty it just funny. feels like it is. It no feels problem. like it is What's devolving. Topic number two? Well, let's see. I just want to. I, I want to look quickly and uh, see what is happening on the uh, ceasefire text line. Uh, Jason yeah. says, "When you got to go, you got to go." Strider sends us, that's the image I want to see. No, it has nothing to do with anything we've just been talking about. Looks like they are cutting beans, I think. Well. (laughs) And, uh, oh, stop it. (laughs) It's a tractor picture. It is a farm picture. (laughs) David in Oxford, your text makes uh, me laugh. I just wish I could read it. I wish I could read it on the air. Yeah, harvesting, (laughs) harvesting the magical fruit. Oh goodness! (laughs) High school football coming up tonight. Had some JUCO football last night. Major League Baseball playoffs going on right now. Another thriller, Borky. This is one that you can get behind. Scoreless between the Marlins and the Cubs. In the bottom of the sixth inning, I think closest anybody has come to scoring. Cubs tried to score on a broken bat single by Jason Hayward, tried to score a runner from second. He was thrown out at the plate. Sounds like a real barn burner. Need to pull up the stream right now. That's what I was saying. Right up your alley. Javi Baez batting. Bottom six, two out. Base is empty. Looks like we, uh, I mean, you know, one swing of the bat and it could change. But, um, and then also you got a deciding game tonight with the uh, the Cardinals and the Padres. Our friend Tom Hart is he's doing the uh, the broadcast for that series. How about this week for him? So so he had to go to Charlotte because they're all broadcasting from studios on these. So he's had Major League Baseball Wednesday, Thursday, and because it was a deciding game Friday night. He will get on a plane early in the morning and fly back to Atlanta to hustle home to his home studio to do LSU Vanderbilt tomorrow night. The the Barstool baseball guys were giving him crap for not being excited about a home run call he made last night. And I listened to the I clip. I saw that. And I listened to the clip. I was like, wait, what, what was wrong with that? I, I didn't understand the criticism there. I think I think they wanted more energy on the uh, the long ball from Tatis. But it was fine. Whatever. I, and I don't even know Tom what? like you do. You guys are buddies. I, I've met him once yeah. in my life, so I'm not defending like a guy I care about. I listened to the clip and I thought, this is what you guys are complaining about. Yeah, there were people that were good. I, somebody tagged me in a clip of that on uh, on Twitter this morning. I did just kind of. I mean, I didn't ignore it. I watched it and I thought, well, yeah. I mean, maybe you could do a little bit more energy. But look, there's. The reality is you're calling a game from a studio. The game is being played in San Diego. San, Di- San Diego. Tom Hart's in a studio in Charlotte, North Carolina. It, it's not that there's a delay. I mean, technologically it's there. But when you're in the ballpark, there's a sound the ball makes when it comes off the bat. You can watch an outfielder's immediate reaction 
And that's kind of the cheat that I use. I mean, some guys, some guys will watch the ball on a home run, like, oh, it's crushed to deep left field, and you're only watching the ball. And so it's not until the ball really starts coming down that you know whether or not it's going to be a home run or not. Well, the, the, the cheat for me is what the outfielder does. It, so if, if it's a, a fly ball to left and you look at the outfielder's reaction and he's on a dead sprint to the wall, you know it's got a chance. If he's kind of on a lazy jog, it's either it's so far gone he's got no shot or it's not hit nearly as well as you think. But if you're watching the game off of a monitor, you may not have that luxury and you're trying to do the best you can. So I, I don't know. That may have been more inside baseball than, uh, than no, you wanted. I, I'm interested in stuff like that because I've often wondered, I mean, I guess these guys are so good at it when they do it forever, but there's got to be things that you look at as indicators uh, for stuff like that. And I haven't quite figured out either. Um, there are times where guys will completely, like, if there's a fumble, they won't even, it won't even register in their mind that it happened. And I wonder... Not in a cynical way, like, what are they seeing? But what are they looking at in that moment? Are they looking down at, like, uh, their notes to get a jersey number or something to completely miss a very clear event that's, like, dead center on our screen? I've always wondered, you know, how how many different places do your eyes go when you're calling games beyond just the screen in front of your face? You know, for, for me, and this has been a learning process, you, you want to call as much of the game as you can off of the monitor because what that that's what the people that are watching at home are seeing. So if I'm looking up and I notice something that I want to talk about, if I'm really doing it right, there's a talkback button that I press where I can let the director know, hey, I'm about to talk about the positioning of the second baseman and shortstop so that they can then go to that camera shot so that it makes sense, so that what I'm talking about is not without pictures. But it's like this constant dance between the monitor and the field. And you're trying to see everything that's going on and kind of go back and forth with it. And, you know, in basketball, it's a little bit different. I I always go to the – I usually call action off the floor in basketball. Like, I'll, I'll watch what's happening. But then I will go to the monitor if it gets crowded and I'm trying to figure out who's making a shot or if we're immediately going to a replay, you know, I'm watching to see what that is. So it's it's kind of a kind of a dance. And it's one of those things that's really just more feel than anything. Some guys never look at the monitor and you can tell it when you're watching and they're talking about things that you're not seeing on television. Hey, I uh, I love the farm pictures, always do. So we've had uh, three or four of those already today. Let's see, we've got um, got a big truck unloading uh Cotton modules, they still do it the old way where they uh, they dump the cotton into the bins and then they pack it down and then they haul the modules. A lot of folks that farm cotton now have the cotton pickers that uh, that, that build the bales, the round bales, and drop them out of the back of the uh, cotton picker along the way. Uh, love the old school there. I say old school, just a little bit different way to do it. And uh, got another cotton picker picture that's going on. All right. Let's jump into some football when we come back as we roll into week two in the SEC at Sports Talk Mississippi. Slated games in the SEC this weekend. You know Mississippi State is hosting the Arkansas Razorbacks. You know Ole Miss is on the road against Kentucky. Rest of the league schedule, South Carolina is at Florida. Missouri is in Knoxville to take on Tennessee. Texas A&M is in Tuscaloosa 
to take on the Crimson Tide. South's oldest rivalry, Auburn and Georgia, meeting between the hedges. LSU is at Vanderbilt. Those are the other five SEC games this weekend, and I think as far as we know, looks like for the second week in a row, seven games happening in uh, in seven places. You, you, you guys have not seen any news that I've missed today, have you, in, in terms of any cancellations or postponements? Have not seen anything of the, of the sort. Good. Let's keep it that way. I did see this a second ago, and guys, this is NFL-related, not college football-related. If you are a New Orleans Saints fan, you're probably not just super excited about this news. Maybe you're not even a little bit excited about this news. Not terribly surprising Michael Thomas is not going to play this week, or at least I don't think it's surprising. Saints are making a long-term play. They believe they are going to be in it all the way, and they want to get Michael Thomas completely well not rush him back before he is completely well. He has practiced some this week, but in a limited role. But in addition to Michael Thomas, five other starters for the Saints will not play this weekend. Uh, Both starting cornerbacks, Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins are out. Michael Thomas is out. And Deuce McAllister told us earlier in the week it was likely that Andrews Pete was going to be out. That is the case. Marcus Davenport is out with that elbow and toe injury, and Jared Cook is out with a groin injury as well. Borky, that's not just six guys. That's six starters and guys that make a difference for the Saints. Yeah, especially defensively where they've already struggled on top of the fact that, yes, Detroit's technically bad, but Matt Stafford and that group of receivers is not, I mean, the worst in the NFL. Um, No. So it's a tough challenge now. And, I mean, luckily for them, they have the weakest strength of schedule remaining, so they should be able to rattle off a few wins moving forward, but you've got to get healthy to do it. I'm worried about this game. I saw Pat McAfee early, uh, earlier today uh, bet Detroit in this one. Um, I wouldn't be afraid to do that myself. Uh, just a lot of injuries, a lot of things are off. Maybe this is a get-right game, but... You need to get right on defense, and now you, I mean, you're going to have to play Ken Crawley, who you just signed at corner? Ugh. Mm. Gross. You're not excited about that, hey, Dad? No, thank God it's the Lions. I mean, I don't know. Or it's not the Lions, never mind. But uh, it's still, it doesn't matter. This is a, It doesn't matter who you're playing. They'd be playing the Jets, and it would be a tough uh, tough hill to climb with those guys. Two starting corners out. I mean, that that's rough. That's really, really rough. I established a take last night, by the way. I think Haydad is going to roll his eyes at this one. But I am willing to die on this hill. I want the Saints to find a way to sign Sam Darnold to take over for Drew Brees next year. I'm not going to roll my eyes, but I don't know. Do they have anything to give up to get him? Well, it sounds well, like the, the Jets, Jets are going to want to be sellers, right? Yeah, because if they have the first pick, they want to take Trevor Lawrence. They got to, they got to, they got to unload Darnold somehow. Here's my rationale behind this: because if you watched the game last night, you saw it with your own eyes. The Jets are the worst in the NFL at everything around him. They have the worst offensive line. Nobody could name a single receiver if you asked them to for the Jets. And without Le'Veon Bell, their running backs are atrocious as well. Coaching is an embarrassment. Their defense also not good. Everything around Sam Darnold is the worst in the NFL, and yet at times he shows you that he's not 
just competent. But he shows you that he's got elite-level potential. Flashes it all the time with an embarrassment around him. And put that kind of talent and that kind of upside in New Orleans where you have a high-level running back, a high-level group of receivers, a really well-crafted offensive line in Sean Payton's scheme, and you can also get him for cheap? That makes all the sense in the world to me to get him to replace Drew Brees. Cheap, talented, is shining through incompetence. What about famous Jameis? I'll have to believe it when I see it, and we might get to see it soon. But, and I don't like the prospect of Jameis Winston, the guy being the quarterback for the Saints. I know that's superficial, but if he were to come into the game and play and play well, I would like it, obviously, because it's my team. But I don't like the guy. And it's not just because of crab legs. There are other things that he has done. I I really don't like him personally. And so it would be hard for me to get behind Jameis Winston because I don't think he's a good dude. How can you not like someone personally you've never met? Because he assaulted an Uber driver? You just don't like him. Do what? Because he sexually assaulted an Uber driver. I mean, I... Still, it's what you're saying is you just don't like him. It's not that you don't like him personally. I think you have to know somebody well, to dislike yeah. him personally. Just, I think what he was saying though is he it's not that he doesn't You think he's not has so bad much character. his play on the field that he bad doesn't person. like. He thinks he's not no, a no, good I dude. I get that. But it, it's just it's just a terminology thing. Like you think he's a bad person. Okay. I can but I just like him I mean. personally. You don't know him. Could be the sweetest guy who just is an idiot too. Nick Mullins would also be a good be. option, by the way. We get a text that says that. I, you know, yeah, I was about to mention that. Karrion McCombs says they need Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins has played well pretty much every time he's had an opportunity in the NFL. He's filling in right now for uh, the injured Jimmy Garoppolo. Played well, and people are starting to take notice. I, I saw one of the, I, I don't know, one of the national football writers say that he is a top three backup in the NFL. So who are the yeah. the three best backup quarterbacks in the NFL? Nick Mullins, if he's in that category. It feels like Chase Daniel is eternally in that category. I, I don't know if <laughs> he's he still there. I'm assuming he's a backup for somebody, right? Yeah. Before he got promoted to starter, I would have put Nick Foles in there, but now Nick Foles is the starter, and I would not put Trubisky yeah. in there. So. Jameis is one. Eh. He threw is for five thousand yards last playing year. A game? Nah, not yet. No, I'm I'm absolutely not ready Andy to say Dalton. that he is a top three backup in the NFL. Um, I mean. Fitzmagic is not going to be a starter forever. Yeah. Andy Dalton. I mean, he's made. Yeah. Okay. Man, guy's been to the playoffs. Aaron in Gulfport says $100 million Joe Flacco is a good backup. <laughs> he played Elite. last night. He did? Yeah. I kind of forgot that that's where he was. Is Blake Bortles a good backup? <laughs> I guess we'll have to get back to you on that. We'll let I, you know. Of all the guys we named, I, Jameis Winston, I think, is more talented than Nick Mullins. It's pro- it's hard to deny that, right? But uh, of all the guys you just named, it's a limited sample size. But Mullins, is, this isn't the first time he's stepped in somewhere and played no. extremely well. He's done it at San Francisco before. Yeah. He'd be cheap. Uh, how about this message? I'm a Steelers fan and would love for the Steelers to go and get Josh Rosen to take over for when Ben uh, leaves. Ben Roethlisberger leaves. He says Rosen has never had a good chance. No, never there might been be something to chance. that. It really is something that those two guys, Darnold and Rosen, they were linked together, being at UCLA and USC, and they they were going to be this next generation of great quarterbacks in the NFL. 
And Rosen has just been run off now from two franchises. Darnold stuck with the worst coach in the in the league. It's it's insane how the fortune has has not s- smiled upon them at any point in their career. Here's another one. Good I have no idea, guys. Is there any way? Yeah, is there any way Aaron Rodgers winds up in New Orleans or Dallas at the end of the season? <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't get my hopes up with him in New Orleans. What's don't, his contract situation? Who cares? It's the Saints. They find a way. Oh, I, I'm not worried about the financial side of it, but just how many years left. Because, I mean, what you'd have to give up to get him might just be too much to ask for. But if he's like a year or two left on his deal, the Packers he might be looking through to... 2023, so mm-hmm. he would have three, two seasons left, right? Two seasons left. Ooh. Last uh, last contract he signed was in eighteen. It was a hundred and thirty four million dollar extension. Had ninety eight million in guarantees and a fifty seven and a half million dollar signing bonus. I mean, it, he's still good. That's why you don't still draft Jordan Love, though, because now you've got yourself in an impossible situation. Who either a ship off an extremely talented quarterback playing at the highest level he's played since his Super Bowl year, probably. For Jordan Love, who is an unknown commodity, who did not play high-level college football, I know that doesn't really matter, but you really don't know a whole lot about Jordan Love. Or do you keep playing Rodgers and just admit you wasted a first-round pick on a position that you shouldn't have picked in the first round anyway? It's a lose-lose. All right, I'm not sure what the details are. I'm looking at Spotrack, and I don't have complete access to there, but it does say that there is a potential out in 2022. Go get him. So that would be after this season. He's due $25 million a year for the next two years. And so, yeah, two years after this season. He's an unrestricted free agent in 2024. You know, the one thing, though, you would say, you said that's the reason you don't draft Jordan Love, but it's not the first time the Packers have done this, and it worked out quite well when they went and got Aaron Rodgers. Now, there were some hurt feelings at the end of the Brett Favre era, but in terms of the right decision for the franchise, they made it. They, they got out before the skills went downhill. They let somebody else deal with that, and then they were able to bring him back one day and celebrate him. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Will East is joining us, and we're going to talk high school football with him in just a moment. But before we do, I was, I was looking at this during the break. I mentioned Chase Daniel a second ago. He is, this year, the backup quarterback for the Detroit Lions. So he's behind Matt Stafford in Detroit. You remember Chase Daniel played college football at Missouri. Really, really good quarterback there. He has played in the NFL. This is his 12th season. Including the money that he will make this year, Chase Daniel has netted $37,809,164. That's good. That's not Peyton Manning money. That's not Aaron Rodgers money. But let me tell you what Chase Daniel has done. In 12 seasons, he has played in 65 games. 60 of those were as a backup. He has five starts in his career. He has thrown 218 passes in the NFL, seven touchdowns, and five interceptions in 12 years 
and has made $37 million and change. That might be the best job in America. It's not Will East money either, but it might be the best job in America. That's, that's $7.4 million per interception, if you look at it that way. <laughs> yes, yes. There are, there are lots of different ways that uh, that you can look at it. If you would prefer, if you'd be, prefer to go glass half full, you can go $5 million per touchdown pass. Uh, whatever it is that you, said, uh, you, said you want to do. You said 218 passes, that's uh, $169,000 per pass. Wow. Per attempt. Yeah. Not even per completion, <laughs> but per <laughs> attempt. All right, Well, let's jump into the uh, the high school business. We've got a lot going on as we go into week two of region play. Friday means high school football in Mississippi. This afternoon, when we get finished at 6, you've got the scoreboard preview show at, uh, again, immediately after we finished on most Super Talk stations across the state. Ton of high school games streaming on your local uh, website, supertalk.fm slash high school is where you can find all of those. Ton of them on the radio. And then tonight, starting at 10 o'clock, the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company's scoreboard show. What do we need to know about tonight, Will? Uh, tonight is kind of a make-or-break uh, week for a lot of teams. So okay. reg- regional play started last week, and you had some teams, you know, maybe some, maybe unexpectedly lose, maybe they were expected to lose, but anyway, they've got a loss. Tonight is the night where they need to win because if you start 0-2, it's really difficult, especially for the regions that have full participation from all the teams uh, that didn't have their seasons canceled because of COVID. Uh, if you fall to 0-2, it is very difficult to come back from that. Uh, I'm, I'm looking especially at Clinton. Clinton tonight plays South Panola, and South Panola lost to Starkville last uh, Friday night. And Clinton is already 1-2 on the season. They have a loss last week against Madison Central. Whoever loses that game is really going to be behind the eight ball because you've got teams like Warren Central in there. You've got Startville in there. You've got Madison Central in there who already have a win. You can't afford to be 0-2 and fall behind the eight ball. Uh, it's it, you, And you see that kind of recurring throughout uh, a lot of the regions. In Region 3, maybe the biggest game in Region 3 and probably the biggest rivalry game tonight is the Oak Grove pedal game. That's always a big game. They're about two miles mm-hmm. apart from each other. And it's always a fun one. Last year, it was kind of interesting because going into that game, Oak Grove, it, the roles were reversed. Oak Grove was really struggling. They had lost two in a row. They go into that game. They lose their third game in a row. And you kind of write them off for the season. Well, that kind of lit a fire underneath their butts. They got going. They ended up in the state championship game against Oxford. This year, it's Pedal that's struggling. They started the season pretty strong, but they've lost two in a row now, and they find themselves, again, they can't afford to go 0-2. They really need to win tonight, uh, especially against their rival, but it's going to be difficult. Oak Grove is the number two team in the state for good reason. They're scoring something like, I think, 59 points per game. I think that's the top offense in the state, pound for pound, no matter what region you look at, no matter what classification you look at. Uh, that's pretty impressive, 59 points per game against 6A competition. And uh, and and Pedal has given up a lot of points. And they've in their, those past two games that they lost, they have been ahead in those games. They've just not been able to hold on to that lead. So I, I, I think that's a, a really big game. you got Clinton and uh, South Panola. And then you've got Startville taking on Germantown tonight. And this is a big one because – what 
Starville has to kind of avoid is that hangover from a big win. They they beat South Panola last week. That was the most hyped game probably of the season so far. They win that game, I think, 38-20. to But a lot of times right. you have that, that week after letdown where you, you won the big game and you're just not focused on the next one. You kind of have a hangover there. And Germantown has a really good defense so far. I'm not saying that Germantown's going to win by any stretch of the imagination, but Starville needs to be aware of this because the other thing is they might get caught looking ahead because they're going to have teams like uh, – my wife's calling me. Uh, they're going to have teams like uh, Madison Do you Central. want to put her on the air? Uh, no, I don't want to put her in the air. She's probably angry at me. We're supposed to go ha- uh, uh, get Halloween decorations later on, and we don't agree necessarily on the decorations. Only but... 29 days to figure that out. You, you need to hurry it up. <laughs> my neighbors have already got it all up, though. We're la- we're slacking. You should just jump ahead of them and get the Christmas tree up. <laughs> Talk about derailing a train of thought. We uh, we can do that. Tell you what, I, I, while we're while we're talking about Starkville, I want to ask you this. All right, coming into the year, you said Starkville is pretty clearly the best team in the state of Mississippi. Yes, we looked at that number one versus number two matchup early in the year when it was Starkville against West Point, and Starkville frankly, with, with what looked like relative ease, was able to, to get past that first hurdle. Mm-hmm. They were able to get past uh, the, the hurdle, and I don't know how close it is from a talent standpoint with Starkville and South Panola, but they win that game by 18 last week. And, and so they crossed that bridge as well. At this point for Starkville, isn't it just about going out and playing the way they are capable of playing? Yeah, and we've seen this from Starkville in years past. Uh, You're right. There was we have. I, I guess it was last year where they looked unstoppable. They had they blew out Oxford, the eventual six A state champ, blew them out of the water. I think Star, I think Oxford scored seven points in that game, and I, I think yeah, that was like week two or week three, yeah, and like then they met to what seven. in the north half finals or maybe it was the quarterfinals, and and mm-hmm. Oxford beat them the second time around. And they just looked un- – Starville looked unstoppable early on and about midway through the season. I, I can't remember who they lost to. Um, and maybe I'm thinking about a year uh, – two years ago. But I get my years mixed up. But uh, we've seen this from Starkville before. They they have traditionally started off the season the past four or five years as the number one team. Uh, they're just yeah. going into the year. They, they've been the number one team. But some along, somewhere along the way in the regular season, they've stumbled. And it's usually in this area where they stumble. It's, it, you know, it's against a, a Madison Central or uh, a Warren Central, some team that, that maybe you don't expect. So uh, I would think for Starkville, they, they have got to really stay focused. And um, i tell you what, though, Luke Altmeyer looks the part. I mean, the guy yeah, is just – He's very he's deadly accurate and this year he has found his legs. He rushed in that that game against West Point in this I think it was the second play of the game something like that for Starkville. He rushed for a 70-yard something touchdown, which nobody was expecting. I mean cuz no nobody everybody's talked about his arm, not about his legs. I, I want to ask you about Oxford, not because it's where I'm from or where I went to high school, but at some point, does Oxford start to grab a little bit more attention because they are undefeated? They've got the win against Lafayette. They didn't play particularly well last week against South Haven. Uh, I, I think it was South Haven. It was one of the DeSoto County schools, but they were able to come back mm-hmm. from being down pretty big. Uh, Jack Tannehill played a huge role in that game with, with a handful of field goals that, that he made. Um I mean, Oxford, it feels like, is probably the favorite in Region 1, and they haven't lost since that game you mentioned a second ago to Starkville last season. 
the the issue with Oxford is from a PR perspective, I guess, is huh. there's not a lot of good teams in Region One. Um, uh, the focus is is has been on Region Two and Region Three the past couple of years because they have all the 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 good teams early on in the season. Your Madison Central Startvilles, Warren Centrals. Uh, whereas in Region One, you know, for years it was it was kind of Tupelo and South Panola. Uh, you know, obviously South Panola for many years, and then Tupelo kind of started to be really good uh, there. And Oxford, kind of when they moved up to six eight, they just haven't had a a clear cut number two. Uh, it's just been these other teams that have been in there. You know, Olive Branch is another team that is they have been good here and there. Uh, they're always a tough team, but they haven't been uh, of the caliber of some of those teams in Region 2. So I think for, for Oxford, the reason why they don't get the publicity is simply because of the competition they're facing in their region. Yeah, and it feels like Tupelo's taking a step back. I mean, Horn Lake, since winning the uh, the state championship yeah, a couple of true. years ago, has really taken a step back as well. Uh, it's almost like when N'Kobe Dean is not on the team anymore um, – to go along with a bunch of other good players yeah. they had a couple of seasons back, uh, he's doing some pretty good things over at the uh, the University of Georgia, so that uh, that makes some sense. All right, we talked a bunch of 6A right there. We're going to take mm-hmm. a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll, we'll drop things down a little bit. We'll look at some of the other classifications, some of the games that are going on, some of the teams to watch as we get a little bit deeper into the high school football season. For almost everybody, this is week two of region play. We'll start it out by saying – You don't want to dig yourself that 0-2 hole once you get into the region. We'll continue. Will, if he was on the road, would be joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. He is in Studio X, but don't forget, Farm Bureau. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be right back. Sports Talk, streaming at supertalk.fm. Friday afternoon, thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Will East talking some high school football. Big night coming up for you. Super Talk Mississippi stations all across the state will have high school football on the radio. You can also go to supertalk.fm slash high school. Find all the streaming games. There's a scoreboard that you can keep up with scores of games that are happening all across the state as well. Again, that's supertalk.fm slash High school. We kind of focused on 6A a minute ago, Will. Let's kind of talk about some of the uh, the other big games that are going on in all the other classifications across the state. Not a lot of big games in 5A this week. Uh, West Point will take on, I think, winless Sautillo. Uh, the team to kind of concentrate on right now is Neshoba Central uh, in 5A because West Point, I think, is probably going to take care of business uh, there in Region 1. West Jones has... They're not playing again this week. They didn't play last week. They're not going to play again this week. Their game got canceled. Uh, So that's kind of an interesting dynamic that's going on uh, through a lot of high schools across the state. We've had uh, probably five or six games either cancel or postpone for tonight. So a lot of focus will be on Neshoba Central. They have a player by the name of Jarquez Hunter who scored all five of their touchdowns last week in their win uh, over Holmes County Central to give him 88 touchdowns for his career, which is a lot. But it's a significant number because on the all-time Mississippi high school football career touchdowns list, he ties Marcus Dupree, 
who is oh, wow. a Philadelphia native, obviously Neshoba Central, Neshoba County. Uh, so it's a, a pretty significant uh, accomplishment by him, and he still has some games to go. Now, I did look up the all-time record. Do you guys know who set the all-time career touchdown scored in Mississippi high school football history? I'll give you a hint. How about that? Do it. Okay. Played at Mount Olive. Steve McNair? You're close. Steve McNair Jr.? <laughs> his nephew, Jason McNair. He scored 120 touchdowns in his career. I think he played from 2004 wow. to 2007. What? Now, this is not passing touchdowns. This is touchdowns scored. Uh, you know, I, when I saw the name McNair, I thought Fred McNair. I thought Steve McNair, Mount Olive. I mean, come on. No, it was Jason McNair who went on to play at Tennessee State. So, there you go. But anyway, uh, Jarquez Hunter's a, a, I think he's a four-star recruit running back. And he also plays linebacker and defensive back. I mean, the kid's very talented. Uh, looking at the rest of 5A tonight, uh, you've got Picayune, who's another uh, undefeated team in 5A. I think they play Gaucher tonight. And uh, beyond that, there's there's not a, a, a ton of marquee, na- uh, marquee games in um, some of the other classifications. One game that is very interesting is going to be uh, Jackson Prep taking on Jackson Academy. Uh, that is always a big game and uh, certainly a big game in the prep ranks as – the prep schools, I mean, they're getting ready to, to close down se- the regular season and get ready for playoffs in just a few weeks. It <laughs> seems like we just got started. Uh, one other thing that's kind of crazy is that we will have some teams tonight in 2A and 1A that will play their very first game of the season tonight, October 2nd. 2020, they're going to play their first game of the season. One team that comes to mind is a team called Northside. They're in the Delta. They're a fairly new school. Last year, they went to the 2A state championship, and they lost to Taylorsville. Had a very good defense. A lot of optimism coming into 2020. Well, because all the teams around them canceled their season, uh, they were left with a very limited schedule. They'll play only three games this entire season. The first game will be tonight. Their last game of the regular season will be, I think, on October 23rd. So they will begin their season in October and end their regular season in October. Pretty wild. You, you mentioned Jackson Prep a second ago. Mm-hmm. It's rare that we say this, but they're trying to bounce back this week. They had uh, the matchup with Taylorsville last week. That was an offensive shootout. What, 47-37? Mm-hmm. Taylorsville won that game. Um, and that kind of avenged a loss that Taylorsville had at Jackson Prep a year ago. This was a big deal for Taylorsville. It really was. I mean, it, you know, Ty Keyes is a name that we've mentioned what seems like forever now, uh, and that guy has just rewrote the record book. And the, the kind of the one thing was, you know, who have they beaten since he's been there? Uh, and besides all the state championships they've won, which is amazing, but people still go, well, who they've beaten? Well, they beat Jackson Prep last week uh, pretty handily. So I, I think that's that. You know, a, a pretty significant uh, event for Taylorsville. For Jackson Prep, you know, it's just not the Jackson Prep that we know. We, we expect them to go undefeated every single year. They won, what, six state championships in a row and had maybe, what, three losses in all those years. Um, so this is, this is kind of new territory. We don't have time to get into this, so i got to have a quick answer. Is Ty Keyes, when it's all said and done, going to be the best quarterback to have ever played at Taylorsville? <laughs> Trying to think of some of the other guys who've been there. Well, th- 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 there's one that stands out above all the rest, and that's Jason Campbell. Yes, Auburn. Yeah, J- Jason Campbell that played at Auburn and I guess was drafted by the Bengals or played in the uh, the NFL uh, some as well. Yeah, those are big I, shoes I, I to fill. I just I think he will be. Just 
F- f- food for thought there. All right, don't forget, preview show comes when we get finished at 6, and then the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company's high school scoreboard show tonight starts at 10 and runs until 11.30. Thanks, Will. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, glad to have you along on this Friday, week two of Southeastern Conference play. You want to be part of the conversation, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Right now we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet joins us, as he does every single Friday. And, uh, Bruce, an interesting slate of games this weekend involving Southeastern Conference teams. Uh, especially when it pertains to uh, teams from the state of Mississippi. So let's just start right there. A big number in Starkville. Mississippi State has been a a big favorite since this game opened. Uh, After their impressive win against LSU last week on the road, they were a big-time underdog, won that game 44-34. Crazy numbers from K.J. Costello. Now the Bulldogs find themselves as about a 17-point favorite in Week 2. Is that too many points or is that okay? Yeah, well, I, I I think it's okay, but I mean, the, heck, this is 2020. It's the first weekend in October. They're running the Preakness, and the <laughs> NBA Finals are taking place. So I mean, everything's sort of inside out. But um, Arkansas—they looked more organized last week. I'll give them that. And uh, they did have Georgia on the ropes. And I think at some point, this Kendall Bryles offense will start to resonate a little bit. A little bit more than it did in the second half last week when Felipe Franks had trouble. But that's what bothers me sort of because I think Arkansas, where it is right now, with this offense still trying to get adjusted, and who knows if Franks can actually handle this or not. But they, they could have spates where they go three and out, three and out, or Franks makes a mistake. And against a potent offense in this league, um, a lot, you know, and, and I think Mississippi State's probably more potent than Georgia actually right now. Uh, that could spell real trouble. Also, Mississippi State's defense, I know LSU ended up scoring some points in that game, but Zach Arnett, the new coordinator from San Diego State, he kept Miles Brennan off balance a lot of that game. It got kind of crazy with the score, but he was under pressure, and that's the Rocky Long defense. I think it'll do the same thing to Franks this week. And uh, Leach's numbers, man, so you want to kick, check out the Stanford uh, of, of boards this week and see what those people are saying about uh, why didn't David Shaw and Lee Costello <laughs> like that when he's up on the farm. 39-16, Mississippi State. We're going to lay it in the goal sheet. All right, 39-16, Mississippi State covering the big number. Um, I, I want to give you some credit. We, we talked about this on, I guess it was Tuesday of this week, after you mentioned it. You mentioned Zach Arnett, the connection to Rocky Long at San Diego State, and what a great reputation he had. And then we look out and uh, – uh, yes, they gave up points, they gave up some yards, but seven sacks last week for Mississippi State against LSU. Yeah, and I think that was the key to the game. And that thing got kind of crazy because they was up. the pace of the game really accelerated. But, I mean, Brendan was under pressure. He made some mistakes. He threw a few picks. And that's what Rocky Long defense will do to you. I, I don't think at this stage Arkansas's offense is close, even you know post-Joe Burrow LSU. Uh, Arkansas offense is not close to that. They'll have trouble against this uh, against this Arnett defense, I think, tomorrow. 
Bruce, Ole Miss is on the road this weekend. They are at Kentucky. If I'm being honest, I expected a little bit more out of Kentucky. I did think that Auburn was the right play last week going into that game, but I I thought Kentucky was going to be maybe a little more competitive. There are some things that happened in that game that probably caused the final score to be what it is, but the bottom line is Kentucky only scored 13 points. Ole Miss ran into a, a buzzsaw in Florida's offense, but the Rebels did score 35 in the game last week against a, a pretty talented Florida team. Rebels getting points on the road. Is this a, a scenario where the odds makers have got it right or maybe not? I think they do, but we'll see. We'll know a lot more about both of these teams. Well, that goes for everybody playing their second game in the SEC, but I think especially these two. There are some odd things last week. Kentucky thought it had a touchdown right before half, and then it ended up getting right. nothing out of that. That could have turned that whole game around. Uh, but I think it shows they don't, you know, this offense, post Lynn Bowden last year, what he did, even though they were just running the football, it was pretty dynamic. And Terry Wilson, I'm just not sure he brings that sort of thing to the table, but this is a real defense. And therein lies the difference here. I, you know, I know. You know, Matt Corral put up a lot of those yards in the second half and all, but, you know, Florida was, you know, taking, you know, loosening things up on defense last week. Those yards were kind of hollow and even the points. Um, what I don't know if, if, if Lane is going to be running this really up tempo stuff, um, where it's going to hurt is on the defensive side because you can't keep putting that defense out on the field as much as they were last week. And Kyle Trask ended up passing them silly. Uh, Wilson's not going to do that. But it still, I think, highlights a risk that this the Kiffin style is going to have. Because, and this goes as the season goes too. I'm not sure they have enough depth on that defense. They might get gassed. They're still feeling the effects of some of the scholarships they lost a few years ago. And um, you know, I'm not sure that the pace is going to end up costing the Ole Miss in these games. We took uh, Kentucky 32-22 in the gold sheet, so we would lay it. Um, I think Kentucky is worth one more look, and I'm still not sure about Ole Miss, especially that defense. All right, that'll be interesting to see. So you got Mississippi State covering the big number, Kentucky covering at home, winning by 10 over Ole Miss in Lexington. Alabama, when they were engaged early in that game, looked like a vintage Nick Saban defense. The offense was efficient. Mac Jones passed the eye test in a big, big way. We know the talent is there. But then they kind of coasted in the second half and played a bunch of other guys, including Bryce Young. 17 and a half at home against Texas A&M this week. Texas A&M looked awful. They shouldn't look as bad as they did, Bruce, but here we are once again, big expectations for A&M going into the year and just, meh, in their first game of the season. What do we do with this big number in T-Town? Yeah, we were both kind of wrong in A&M last week. We thought they'd have a much easier time with Vandy. That's an experienced Vandy defense, which wasn't that good last year, but they rattled Kellen Mond last week, and I think what all these... Aggie fans have to be getting a little bit concerned about it. It's about time Kellen Mond makes a little more progress. And last year, he wasn't stretching the field. He did it. He did a better job with that two years ago. The deep ball wasn't as much a part of the Aggie offensive mix last year. It certainly wasn't last week because Mond looked very flustered out there. Um, so, you know, Jimbo's going to start feeling some of this heat. Like I mentioned before, they ain't paying him all that money down there to go to uh, the Texas Bowl every year. They want more. This is reminding me of Jackie Sherrill more and more. It took Jackie a couple of years to get going, but they've been down this road at A&M before, and it didn't end well with Jackie. They're hoping it's not the same here, but we'll see. Saban has never lost a game to one of his assistants, former assistants. Remember, Jimbo was on the staff at LSU long ago, um, and you're right. 
The only question we have here is, is Nick going to pull his foot off the gas pedal? But 17 versus uh, the four touchdowns last week, eh, it can happen when you're laying four touchdowns and up 35-3. I think uh, he'll keep the foot uh, to the pedal a little bit longer this week. 38-17, Alabama. I like Mac Jones. I like Najee Harris, and I'm not sure what's going on at A&M right now. So a couple of big numbers covering in the SEC. Let's press pause right now, and Bruce, uh, give you a chance to uh, remind people where they can find your work every single week. Yeah, check us out online, goldsheet.com. We've actually got a few underdogs in the SEC, too. We'll probably get to those in a second. But uh, you can new, easy-to-read online format. Man, it's much easier to read. Goldsheet.com, you get my picks up there also at Vegas Insider and DonBest.com. And uh, also, VEASAN Point Spread Weekly, read my write-ups in there, including a lot of SEC games. I'm curious if one of those underdogs that you like is Auburn. They are a seven-point underdog on the road in Athens, a place where they have not won since 2005. Does that change this year? Uh, that's who we like, Rich. Uh, this is one of the dogs we like. And I know Georgia got there last Well, They didn't quite get the points, but they did get the win. Uh, but they were in some severe trouble at Arkansas at halftime. And Kirby, that was the last roll of the dice, putting Stetson Bennett in at quarterback, and it seemed to ignite. And then Arkansas helped contribute to that with some mistakes, and the offense just couldn't stay out on the field. Um, now, JT Daniels, the USC transfer, has been cleared to play. He's available this week, but it looks like Kirby's going to go with uh, Bennett at the start this week, but he'll probably be on a short leash. Bottom line is, I'm not sure where this offense really is for Georgia yet, and um, we'll see what happens. A much tougher test tomorrow. Uh, Bo Nix, um, you know, looked like uh, pretty poised last week. It wasn't spectacular, but no mistakes. Maybe Chad Morris uh, will work better uh, in as, as the coordinator here than he was as a head coach at Arkansas. And in conjunction with Gus, maybe they're going to smooth out some of the rough edges with Bo Nix. I know the Auburn people last year. We're expecting a bit more, especially after the Oregon game. But Knicks looked pretty much in control last week. And right now, even though Georgia's defense is good, I am not sold on that offense. And I think Gus can go in there and maybe he'll do the old Pat Dye thing again with the shirt and tie. Uh, he won last week, and maybe he'll do it again. I think Auburn goes in there and steals one. And I, we could see playing this on the money line, too, uh, for Auburn. 20-16, to 16, Tigers are calling the upset in the oldest rivalry in the South. I like it. Hey, we got 30 seconds, Bruce, left. Three games that we haven't talked about. Florida, big favorite at home. Tennessee, big favorite at home. 12 there. And Vanderbilt, a 21-point dog at home. Which of those three games do you like the most? South Carolina, I think. Will Muschamp has generally been a pretty good underdog, although it's faded at the end of last year with the new quarterback from Colorado State, Colin Hill, and the coordinator, Mike Bobo. We remember him. He was at Colorado State as a head coach the last few years. Better offense than Will's defense usually is competitive here against his old employer. I think South Carolina is going to hang in there with that big spread tomorrow. All right. Look forward to watching all of these games on Saturday. Bruce Marshall, Bruce A. Marshall on Twitter. Check his workout at goldsheet.com. Thanks, Bruce. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good weekend, uh, Rich. Thanks. Sports Talk Mississippi. Bruce Marshall joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Obviously, the biggest news on this Friday has nothing to do with sports, and uh, it has to do with uh, the President of the United States, who uh, I guess it was about 1 a.m. Eastern time this morning tweeted that uh, he and the First Lady, uh, Melania Trump, were uh, positive for COVID-19. I mentioned that because 
I had the Cubs and Marlins game. It was airing on ABC, and they'd broken in with a uh, like an NBC or an ABC News special report uh, saying that um, President Trump is going to go to Walter Reed Hospital, which is uh, where military it's the the hospital right outside of DC, and is going to undergo some tests and is potentially or or maybe as a precautionary, is going to take this antibody cocktail that uh, has been put together, and they're saying this could be potentially a breakthrough. Uh, I, I don't think you just go full-on experimental when you're talking about the President of the United States. So uh, it doesn't seem like he would uh, uh, just, you know, hey, why don't we give this a shot? But yeah. uh could be... Uh, pretty interesting if they're giving it to so him out of an abundance of caution he is going to walter reed for the next few days wow wow yeah i i kind of had that that feeling last night it's funny i found out um i had gone to bed and gotten up to go to the bathroom ironically the way we started the show today um and i was scrolling through twitter while i was going to the bathroom and saw <laughs> saw his tweet um, but it was pretty jarring, honestly, because I wasn't uh, I wasn't alive um, when Reagan was shot. I uh, certainly wasn't alive when when JFK was shot. So this is the first time in my life where the president of the United States was a direct or, or in kind of direct danger. And, and you know, some people say that you know COVID's not really threatening or anything like that. But this is the first time in my life that the president of the United States was in some form of real direct danger and so it was kind of jarring to me because i've never felt that feeling where wow this is real even though again you know some people think it's nothing he's going to the hospital so obviously there is something to be concerned about and it was the first time in my life where i i felt that kind of whoa that's the president here kind of feeling where a lot of you listening right now have been through this before with previous presidents. This was my first time. Yeah. I was reading through um, a story today about, you know, continuity of power and kind of the handoff. And with one or two exceptions, uh, the president has to write and sign a note where he says that for a specific, a specific amount of time he will be incapacitated and can hand off power to the vice president to serve as the acting president. It actually happened twice under President George W. Bush, both times for about two, two and a half hours while he was, I guess, put to sleep for a colonoscopy. <laughs> so it happened, you know, two years apart or four years apart, whichever it was, um, had a colonoscopy that began around 7.15 in the morning, and by 9.45, he was back to being the president again. But uh, uh, there were a couple of times where Dick Cheney actually was acting president of the United States, and uh doesn't happen all that often. Obviously happened with, uh, with Ronald Reagan, although he never fully ceded his power. He wrote a note saying he understood... What is it, Article 4, I think, of the Constitution? It's Article 3 or Article 4 of the Constitution um, in which he would give up his power if necessary to do so. So, yeah. um, I don't know. My reaction to this story today was different. I mean, because people... uh, Borky, I I am really interested 
to hear that that was your reaction to it. I, I really didn't ever have that thought today. I thought, okay, this is something that the media is going to completely blow out of proportion, which they have, although it is a huge story, and it's something that the opposition campaign will look to make political points out of. And to his credit, Joe Biden wished the president well via Twitter earlier today. Released a state or had a a speech or something earlier where he did the same thing, which it should be expected uh, from if it happened to either one. That that should be how it's how it's handled. So, indeed. So, this going to the uh, the hospital change your feeling on it? Any? I mean, the thing is, he is. An elderly man. He's 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 seventy four years old. Not in great and shape. And he either. eats terribly. And yeah, well, he's, he eats terribly and is technically overweight. So, yeah, I mean, those are mitigating or not mitigating, but uh, contributing factors. I'm technically overweight, then I guess too. That was well. Ju- you don't look at Donald Trump and go, "He's obese." I I look at Donald Trump and think that that he's fat. Yeah. I got something like that, so... Do you really? Yes. I mean, he wears tailored suits, okay. so it's up to tell. But when you see him like playing golf, yeah, he's fat. Okay. I got classified as obese when I was in high school. So my mom worked for a, a significantly a body large... Body mass index or something? Yeah, she worked for yeah, a, a large it's, corporation, it's... and her, her medical insurance that applied to me, um, there was some kind of discount related to what kind of shape you were in. And this was when I was playing high school ball, and I was in really good shape. I'm around 6'2", probably a little bit a little bit less, but I give myself 6'2". And I played at about 2.30, but I, I looked good. I worked out every day. Like, I, I was cut. Like, I was in really, really good shape. But 6'1 2.30, according That's to the, the BMI yeah. scale, was technically obese. So I've got abs, and my mom didn't get her insurance uh, discount because her son was technically obese, even though I was in really good shape and you could see muscles in my stomach, I was still labeled obese. It was ridiculous. You big fatty? <laughs> Ceasefire text line, Jeff wants to know if Bruce Marshall is from South Florida or is that the guy that comes on Thursdays? Yeah, that's the guy that comes on Thursdays. That is uh, Lee Sterling with Paramount Sports. He lives in... The South Florida area. I think lives in Coral Gables, where the University of Miami is. And yeah, uh, about going Bruce, to games there, yeah, yeah uh, Bruce lives in Las Vegas. Lucky. Good place to live if you're a sports handicapper. And uh, been there for a long time. I went to Bruce's page on Vegas Insider. Um, he's obviously very good at his job. Be, and if you're going to follow Bruce's picks on Vegas Insider, luckily you get a handful of them here on this show as a service to you, and he's been really good. He was 7-3 and three last week, college football picks, by the way. Um, if you want his NFL season, buddy, you got to pay for his NFL season. My goodness. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Big number? Big number. It's not four figures, but it's close. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was like well into the four figures. No, but that's just NFL. So if you want his NFL okay. and college and Major League Baseball and stuff, obviously more. But um, he's he's clearly very good at his job. If that's a one-off NFL picks purchase, yeah, it's a good point. 
Um, we'll do two questions coming up in the uh, next segment, Borky's favorite segment of the week, where we ask what Mississippi State has to do and absolutely cannot do in order to win against Arkansas this weekend. And we'll ask the exact same questions for Ole Miss. Uh, w- with no slight or disrespect intended, I actually think the answers will be more fascinating for Ole Miss this week. Thinking oh, yeah. back, though, to last week, what were our absolutely must-do, absolutely cannot do for Mississippi State against LSU? Mine was control the clock, and they did. They, they won the time of possession battle. They shortened the game for the, for their defense. They had long drives. So I, I remember they, they had a actually pretty big time of possession lead at one point. I remember looking around going, hey, wait a minute, I said that. So I was proud of myself. I didn't get my picks right, but I got that right. Yeah, and they were smoking See, them in time of possession early, right? It ended up being yeah. about a minute difference, but early yeah. in the game it was a lot. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't mine... Um, related to the defense, got to got to get so, uh, yeah. Miles yeah. Brennan uncomfortable. Put some pressure on him. Don't give him a chance to sit back there and feel confident. And yeah. uh, he didn't. They sacked him seven times. So we kind of nailed those. Yeah, yeah I'm and, just saying, if, if State's hiring, come on, Cross. You put on a maroon pullover for the uh, for the right price, for the right number. Yeah. Get you ringing make that cowbell for real. Ma- ma- make you. me an offer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious what your starting Everybody's number is. Everybody's got a price, as, as as the million dollar man once said. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi after a quick timeout. Streaming at SuperTalk.fm. We will get into two questions. You want to contribute? You can do so on the Ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. We'll be right back. Request on the Ceasefire text line for a leaderboard update from the Sanderson Farms Championship. Happy to oblige on that front. JT Poston is five under on his round today to go along with a 66 yesterday. He is tied for the lead at 11 under par. Charlie Hoffman had the overnight lead after the first round at eight under. He's three under today through 15. Looks like he and Poston may be playing uh, together. And uh, so they are tied for the lead at 11-under for the tournament. MJ Dafu and Keegan Bradley are both 10-under. Uh, Denny McCarthy and Christopher Ventura and Brant Snedeker are all at 9-under par. Talked yesterday about all the red numbers in this golf tournament. Cut line is going to be 2-under in this tournament. Uh, there are 79 players at 2-under or better. At uh, this point, you've got 100... 100 players even that are even or better for the uh, for the championship in Jackson. Again today, Borky, just ideal playing conditions. Fall golf at its absolute best. You want to wear a sweater, you can. You want short sleeves, you can do that. If you go off in the morning, it's going to be chilly. In the afternoon, it's just spectacular. Yeah, uh, no clouds at all expected over the weekend. So tomorrow, 51 for the low, 75 for the high. Sunday, 78 sunny no clouds whatsoever that's about as good as it gets two other things uh one of them sports related one of them presidential related and then we'll get to the uh, two questions we may even carry that into the last segment of this uh, this four o'clock hour marlins eliminate the cubs two zip they get two runs in the seventh inning and that was all they needed and uh, i mean i told you i don't even know why we're playing the rest of the playoffs the streak continues in the history of the franchise, the Florida Marlins have never 
lost a playoff series. Never. Never twice lost. They've got prior to this season twice they've made the playoffs and twice they have won the World Series. They make the playoffs this year all altogether different setup, but they sweep the Cubs in two games, 5 to 1 and 2 zip, and now they advance to the next round. So we'll keep an eye on the Miami Marlins and see if history repeats itself once again. Uh, in the break, I was listening to a, uh, a medical professional that was talking about the president. They're waiting to see him emerge from the White House to get on to Marine One. Uh, we don't need no stinking traffic, so uh, he'll jump on a helicopter and go across D.C. and uh, check in at Walter Reed. I-, I bet he doesn't have to go to the regular admissions desk either. So we mentioned this no hour-long waiting room session? I don't think so. Uh, mentioned the cocktail that uh, he is going to be um, is going to be administered to him. Here's what it's made up of: aspirin, pretty basic, vitamin D, aspirin serving as a blood thinner, vitamin D to boost the immune system, Pepsid, which is just a you know very basic, over-the-counter stomach drug, and then antibodies developed by Regeneron. And they've done about a 250-person study and have had positive results from that. And so all of those things kind of mixed into a drug cocktail uh, that they are saying is experimental in nature, but they believe is safe for the president, and said the reason that they are taking him to Walter Reed, even though there is a full-time doctor and pretty extensive medical facilities in the White House, is Walter Reed, at least portions of it, are cutting-edge state-of-the-art, as you would expect, with that being the primary hospital, if necessary, for the President of the United States. And they want to be able to constantly monitor heart rate, lung capacity, body temperature, etc. Um, saying that it is precautionary, but uh, just more extensive, because you're talking about the leader of the free world. And I thought one of the political commentators made a really good point. Said, so, you know, we're, we're hopeful that when the president walks from the White House to Marine One, he's going to look healthy when he does so because it's not just Americans that are watching on. He said it's our allies and our enemies alike that are watching on, and I don't know that you'll be able to tell a whole lot. But based on what we do know about Donald Trump, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was in a Navy suit with a white start shirt and a tie and he gives a thumbs up to the cameras regardless of how he feels as he makes the short walk from the uh, White House out to the uh, – uh, out into the lawn where Marine One is uh, is docked right For now. sure. And whether he feels bad or not, that's what he needs to do. And, and, I mean, maybe he doesn't have to be in a suit. Maybe he's in, you know, one of those jackets with his presidential hat on or whatever. Um, I don't know. This kind of feels like a moment, though, where he needs to look like the president and kind of wave and smile and give a thumbs up as he's going to get on the helicopter. Kind of feel like if he was unable to do that, they would be getting him out of the White House into the hospital in a different way. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I don't know. No, I I had that exact same thought. Had had the exact same thought that, you know, there's a garage underneath somewhere where they would put him in an armored limousine and take him and, you know, would shield him from the public as much as they could. Um if he's going to walk from the White House to Marine One, then there's some political theater that's involved here. Yeah. And it's for voters in the United States, but it's also for the for the entire world, which is watching. So anyway. 
wanted to get you up to date on that. Let's uh, let's roll into see, two questions. Uh, real quick, did you see the the headline at a local Scottish newspaper? No. It said Turnberry owner get di- gets diagnosed with COVID nineteen. <laughs> well played. <laughs> pretty good. That's uh, that is that is pretty good. All right, lead us in, Borky. All right, Ole Miss absolutely has to do what if they want to pull the upset tomorrow in Lexington? Hmm. I think there are two different directions you can go with this. But I think one of them is altogether feasible and accomplishable, and the other one I'm just not sure if it's going to be in their DNA. So... Uh, they, they've got to be explosive offensively like they were last week. And, but I think it's a combination of explosive offensively and consistent offensively. I, I don't think they can – I'm not saying that you've got to score on every possession in the game. That, that That's not what I'm saying at all. But they don't need to have the, the small lapses where you go two series, where you go back-to-back three and outs. And, and, and that's for a lot of reasons, but I think as, as much as anything, it's for, you know, kind of – continuity of offense and feeling good about the way you're calling plays and the sequences that you're getting in. The other th- piece that I would go with, I'm just not sure that it's it's plausible, is you know get some pressure on Terry Wilson and make him uncomfortable. I said that last week about Kyle Trask. There were only a handful of times where Ole Miss was able to get any kind of pressure on Kyle Trask, and when they did, they, they forced some errant throws. But for the majority of the game last week, Kyle Trask had zero pressure and was able to pick apart the Ole Miss defense. So I, I lean more in the direction of they've got to continue to be explosive offensively. The thing I have written down is dictate the pace. So very similar to, to what you said is if you're playing the, this slow, grinded out kind of game, that plays right into Kentucky's hands. So be explosive and fast offensively and control the pace. I think also to your point, uh, keeping Terry Wilson contained within the pocket. So you've got to stop the run in order to get them into obvious passing downs, obviously. But if you are able to force Terry Wilson to remain within the pocket, don't give him opportunities to beat you with his legs and force him to throw the football down the field, uh, he's not Kyle Trask. Even though the secondary for Ole Miss is not particularly good as you saw on Saturday, uh, Kentucky does not have the weapons at all that Florida has, and they don't have the quarterback that can throw the ball down the field the way Florida did. So if you can force Terry Wilson just to stay in the pocket, and throw the football and try to beat you that way, he's not going to be able to do it. So dictate the pace, still be explosive, and force Terry Wilson to throw the football on you because I don't think he can do it. I'm not sure if you're aware of how this exercise works, Borky. It it is your creation. The question is, what is the one thing I know I know I do to win the game? And you just gave three. Well, it was two. Dictate pace and force Terry Wilson to throw the ball. But the implication is you got to stop the run. Whatever, you know, it's hard to pick just one. But on the flip side, what can they not do? Absolutely cannot do if they well, want to win. Hold on, hold on, hey Dad. You got to jump into the what, what's not the one thing in your here. mind, hey Dad? Well, no, no. What's the, the one the thing you think thing, that the offense thing? You know, replicating last week's performance will go a long way. I think, but defensively, Kentucky's going to want to punch you in your mouth. It's been a long time since we've seen an Ole Miss team really be physical and answer the, answer the challenge like that. They've got to find a way to do that. They've got to stand toe-to-toe with Kentucky and not let them push them around the line of scrimmage. All right. Borky? What can they absolutely not do? And we've got about a minute here, so we may need to roll this over, but Ole Miss absolutely cannot do what? 
if they want Ole to Miss, win tomorrow. Absolutely cannot allow Kentucky to dictate the pace of the game for the entire 60 minutes. Because Kentucky wants to run the ball. They don't go fast. They want to burn clock. They want to be methodical. They want to control the clock. I know in some ways that sounds like uh, like a, more of a basketball explanation. You want to dictate tempo and dictate pace in the game. Ole Miss cannot allow Kentucky to dictate the pace of this game for 60 minutes. If they do, it will not go well. We'll get, uh, we'll get the two answers that you guys have on the other side of the timeout, and then we will uh, get to Mississippi State as well. Two questions is what we call it. One thing that Ole Miss and Mississippi State must do to win, one thing they absolutely cannot do to avoid losing. We will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you next at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. All right, back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, wrapping up hour number two of the show, the 4 o'clock hour. We mentioned, uh, let's see, I, I got to my answer just a second ago, the one thing that Ole Miss absolutely cannot do if they want to win against Kentucky tomorrow, they cannot allow Kentucky to dictate the pace of the game for a full four quarters. Borky, hey, Dad, what about you? What's the one thing that Ole Miss cannot do if they want to win? Depend on Matt Corral and Elijah Moore exclusively to win the game. I I think Matt Corral is extremely talented. I think he can potentially have a really nice career at Ole Miss. However, he's still a young quarterback, and he's still got a lot of room to grow. And I think Kentucky's good enough and solid enough defensively that – you shouldn't expect to get 400 yards passing from your young quarterback and another 227 from one wide receiver. Got to be able to run the football. Uh, you've got to get other guys involved offensively because I think Kentucky's talented enough to now adjust and take Elijah Moore away, at least in part. So somebody else has to step up and take the reins and be the dependable guy tomorrow because I don't think you should rely on just those two because eventually Matt Corral's not going to throw for 400 yards incredibly efficiently. you got to run the football, and other people have to be involved in the offense to make it work. Hey, Dad, one thing Ole Miss can't do if they want to beat Kentucky tomorrow. You know, we saw last week that Terry Wilson didn't look like the same runner he was before, so I would say that they can't let Terry Wilson beat them with his feet. They need, you know... Make, you said it earlier, make him a passer and, and, and keep him in the pocket. Don't let him get outside. Don't let him you know, be able to run the football. Limit that to Kavassier Smoke, who I think will get some, some, some yardage in this game. Ole Miss's defense up front, not great. But if Terry Wilson is moving the football with his feet, that's going to be a long day for the Rebels. Interesting you say that about uh, Kavassier Smoke. He is a talented running back. Uh, limited carries, only seven in the game last week uh, for him uh, against Auburn. I, I think that a Ole Miss might actually be better suited to handle a team that wants to run the ball with their defense because of the play of their linebackers than a team that is going to throw it down the field and has got the weapons uh, that Florida had, uh, specifically Kyle Fitz, uh, excuse me, uh, Kyle Pitts and uh, Kendarius Tony, who uh, were both really good for Florida <laughs> last week. You're All not right, wrong, but at the same th- time, I would think Auburn the way they are, tell you where they played last week. And they threw yeah. the ball so many times. I think Stoops will want to get back to the running game. So I, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I, and I think that kind of goes back to the Kentucky trying to dictate pace and Ole Miss, you know, trying to not allow that to happen in the game. So uh, we'll see what that how that unfolds. Let's flip it over to Starkville, Borky. Mississippi State absolutely has to do what if they want to avoid a letdown tomorrow. 
they, they need to be strong up front on the offensive line because uh, Costello was sacked five times last week. I mean, granted, we talked about that, that you know when you throw the ball 60 times, five sacks, you know that's really like two and a half games worth of sacks for a normal Mississippi State team. But you, you don't want to take that many hits. Five hits is a lot. It also is what leads to pressure when you're throwing the ball in, in the bad areas, you know, those, those coverage, those, uh, those interceptions last week. If State's offensive line is good, and I think they will be this week, I don't, I don't have a whole – uh, you know, I don't think it's a, it's a superstar lineup there on the Arkansas defensive line, but if they can protect Costello, he's going to have a, his his he's going to have another big day. I think Mississippi State's got to play clean and go out execute offensively. You you know they're going to throw the ball around, catch the ball when it's thrown, throw the ball to the right guy. Don't don't need a bunch of turnovers in in the game. I say a bunch. I mean you know whatever two three. You you, you don't want to see that in the ball game. And, and just go out and play a clean game. Don't make dumb mistakes that, that cost you with with penalties and, and whatnot. Mississippi State is better, significantly better than Arkansas. And if they go out and play a clean game, they will not have a letdown. They will get a win. Yeah. That's what Quick I have stat. written down. Just don't yeah. turn it over. Quick stat. In, after wins against top ten teams, Mike Leach is 3-1. and one. Okay. What's the one? Do you know? It's the Oklahoma game after 2008 when they beat Texas, and then the next week they got crushed by Oklahoma. When I think I guess Texas might have been number one in the nation at that time. I have a feeling that Oklahoma was in a little bit of different position back then. <laughs> Better than Arkansas. Th- than Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, minute and a half left. Mississippi State absolutely cannot do what if they want to avoid a letdown. Give Arkansas any hope early. It's a bad team you're playing. Don't ever let them hang around. Get up early. Get up 14, 17 points in the first quarter and then just take it in. Take it on in. Can't read too many of their own press clippings. I don't care how many player National Player of the Week awards KJ Costello got, uh, how many, you know, laudatory uh congratulations they got from people all over the uh, the country for their performance against LSU. No, I can't can't read all the press clippings and, and be believing in how great you are. You gotta go, gotta go out and do it on the field. Yeah, one I wrote down was give Felipe Franks time. And, yeah. I mean, Mississippi State's pass rush was the equalizer. I don't know if you call it an equalizer, but was the X factor in the game last week. They got to Miles Brennan, sacked him seven times, made him uncomfortable. If they give Felipe Franks time, he is competent enough to make this game squirrely. So get pressure on him. He will make mistakes, and you will win the game. That is two questions on a Friday. We've got one hour left. We've still got to make some picks. We've got the college football fix coming up. Uh, Interesting nugget from Brett McMurphy that just dropped on uh, Twitter. We'll give that to you when we come back as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad on a Friday. Just after 5 o'clock in the Central Time Zone with you on this Friday afternoon. We are glad to be with you. Final hour of Sports Talk Mississippi for the week as we roll into week two of the Southeastern Conference football schedule. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us. Don't forget the C Spire text line is always open to you. 
That number is 601-879-4395. At Seaspire, they're always asking the big questions like why wait for the next device to get the device you want. Other carriers make you sit tight until the next big device has come out, and then maybe they'll give you a deal on the iPhone that you wanted. You know it, Seaspire knows it, and we all know that's bull. That's why they're bringing you the best deal on your choice of iPhone today. Whether you're upgrading, adding a new line, or switching from another carrier, this is the deal you've been holding out for right now. Any iPhone at Seaspire, whether it's in a store or online, is $100 off. Online, cspire.com, or stop by your local Seaspire store today. Time right now for the college football fix. Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer, makers of the best-selling trucks in America, 43 years in a row. That's the F-150 F-Series sets the standard for trucks in the United States. They've also got the Ranger and the Super Duty test drive one this weekend at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Told you a second ago some uh, news from Brett McMurphy The Bahamas Bowl and the Hawaii Bowl, both owned by ESPN, have been canceled by ESPN. Before the season started, there were 42 bowls. We are now down to 39 bowl games. The Red Box Bowl was canceled earlier. So no Bahamas... Excuse me, no Bahamas Bowl this year, no Hawaii Bowl this year, and you don't have the Red Box Bowl. So uh, the number of bowl games going down a little bit, you would anticipate as we get deeper into the season. More bowl games will uh, will be canceled along the way. Borky, I don't know that we ever actually got to this story. You've had it in the notes for uh, a week or two now. Uh, something that we anticipated was going to be the case, and that is basically uh, no qualifications to get into a bowl game. Everybody is eligible to play in the postseason. We just don't know exactly what the postseason is going to be like this year. Uh, I, I guess maybe we did talk about this briefly a, a couple of weeks ago when we you know, referenced uh, how that could be good for a program like Ole Miss uh, with the proximity of the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, you know, just up the road. Uh, that could be something that could be beneficial for both parties. Uh, you know, Mississippi State in the same way could potentially benefit from an arrangement like that uh, as well. Uh, it may feel a little bit more like bowl games used to feel where you had bowl representatives lobbying schools and schools lobbying bowls to uh, to be invited to participate, so we'll see how that. <laughs> excuse me, we'll see how that shakes out. I don't have a cough button. I apologize. Time to do picks, or do you want to hold off on that? Let's go, let's go to Sankey and the memo he sent, probably okay. talking about Mike Leach specifically, and we'll do Maybe picks. Mike in the Leach next. and Lane Kiffin. Oh could, yeah, Kiffin could, was could down both. too. Yeah, Kiffin, uh, he had the uh, the Kobe Bryant net gator on. Which Some people, I think, early in the day were... loop early. Like, I didn't know it was Kobe, and I was like, is he wearing a purple and gold when State's playing LSU? What's happening here? Real rivals are colliding. Yep, yep. There were a lot of people that saw that purple and gold and kind of gave him some uh, trouble for it. And then later in the day, when it was pulled up, you could see uh, the uh, Kobe Bryant jersey logo on the uh, gator and uh, he tweeted about it later as well. So, Greg Sankey sent out a memo which was obtained by, I guess, ESPN. 
And it said, in part, this past weekend, many fulfilled the requirements established by the task force and your commitment to these new requirements are appreciated. Others, including some head coaches, assistant coaches, support staff, and student athletes need clear reminders of the requirement they fulfill the new health protocols intended to minimize the potential spread of COVID-19. He said that uh, potentially additional action, quote-unquote, could be taken if coaches and assistant coaches, etc., do not follow the conference's COVID-19 protocols. So, a uh, little bit of a scolding from the, uh, the principal there. It, as Borky mentioned, could have been directed toward Mike Leach, who was often seen without a face covering as his Bulldogs defeated LSU. Leach said he tried to remember, quote, the best I could, close quote, to wear his mask properly, but he kept pulling it down to call plays. He said this after the fact. I try to do my best with it, but once you're six feet apart, I can't help but wonder if some of this isn't an homage to politicians. I can't imagine that that particular quote was uh, exceptionally well-received by the league office. Part of the memo said we will continue to monitor games and will take additional action, if necessary, to ensure adherence to the approved task force requirements as we all work to maintain a healthy environment for everyone around our games. It's an optics thing, but the thing that Mike Lee said in response to the New York Times reporter trying to trying to get him, um, yep. he wasn't wrong. No, he wasn't yeah. wrong. I mean, I know you're not supposed to say it because you're the you're technically a representative of a university, a place of higher education. However, he said exactly the truth. There's a certain point that we get to where it is a homage, as you said, to politicians, because a lot of these things, as we've learned this week, don't really make a lot of sense. He's just probably not the guy that should be saying that. Probably true, not, but, but at the same time, I mean, Leach is the guy who's took the, the who had the guy come in and ask the question. But like you mentioned, Kiffin was not doing it uh, from other games I saw. That a lot of coaches weren't. Orgeron was like the only one I I don't think I ever saw the mask come down. He's not calling plays, so I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also in the memo, all coaches, staff, and non-competing student athletes are required to wear a face mask slash neck gaiter on the sideline and physical distancing should be employed to the extent possible. But look, in the team box, which this year, instead of being 30 to 30, is now 15 to 15, so there's an additional, what, 30 yards in the team box. You know what the teams did? Exactly what they always do. They move with the ball up and down the field, kind of as a group. And so, like, if I wanted to stay behind the play or behind if the ball was on the the plus side of the field and I wanted to be on the minus side of the field all the way back around the 15, there wouldn't be anybody within 30 yards of me because I'm just kind of squatting down and watching from, from the side. But if I went to the opposite end, I would be, you know, at the, the plus 15 with the play coming toward me, there'd be lots of people close to me because everybody kind of moves in unison up and down the sideline because they want to be close to the ball and close to the action. I don't know that the 30 additional yards in the team box area really makes that much difference. 
<laughs> Probably not. Well, it's the same but thing optics with, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, there's there's pictures now on social media of Ole Miss getting off the plane, and Lane Kiffin earlier this week, and he was exactly right. They, uh, a reporter asked him, you know, what's this road game going to feel like for you guys because you have to do all these protocols? And Kiffin said, oh, we're taking extra buses. He's like, but what I don't understand is we're about to all get on the same airplane. So what's the point of taking extra buses? Just to waste a, just to waste gas? And he's exactly right. Why are you taking extra buses if all the people on those buses are going to get sit in a metal tube in the sky? Maybe I don't get it. I mean there's an element yeah, of there's just a ton of, of optics happening right now. It's it's everything you do everywhere you go. So you know and I get it. You know, I, I don't have a problem with trying to keep people safe. I really don't. But I mean, Leach is, is there's there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of correctness in what he said, and that you know, it's just sort of what we're being told to do right now. I guess you would put it. Yeah, and there's an element of control. You want to be part what, of the conversation? You can. There's an element of controlling what you can control. Um, and I get that, like the the jersey swap thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, that's all it is right now. It's just, just. Don't do things that look bad. That's all. That's all people are trying to ask you to do. So, this is so. Um, it's probably not the best question to ask. But what do you I'm think? The, their res- I'm the right guy to answer. What do you to? think Go their ahead. response was when they got this memo? What, what do you think when when <sighs> Mike Leach read this memo from Greg Sankey? What do you think his response was? You got the dump button ready? <laughs> oh. Off, Greg. Oh, blank off. <laughs> what the blank? Stuff like that. Uh, and Ki- I, I got, I got Kiffins too. You ready? <laughs> Whatever. All right. That's all he said. Whatever. <laughs> so. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. We will get to our picks next. Hey, Dad has some ground to make up this weekend, so we'll see if he can do that. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Borky says I sounded like a robot a minute ago. Are we better now? Well, depends on what your classification of better is, but yeah. Uh, uh, okay, just wanted to make sure that... The uh, robot voice it, can get pretty cool sometimes. Yeah. I remember All one right. day you were on remote, and there was just like some kind of loose connection or something, and it wasn't the robot voice like the people just heard, which can get obnoxious. It was like you had one of those police voice changers on. It was awesome. I wanted... The whole show to be like that, but Houston said no. Understandably so. All right, let's get into some picks. Last week I went four and three. Michael Borky went four and three. Brian Haydad went one and six. He has a hole from which he must dig himself out. Will he start being a contrarian immediately to try and dig himself out of the hole, or is he just going to play the game straight up? Pick number one, South Carolina is at Florida, where the Gators are a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. Borky, who you got? Uh, I am afraid of going against Bruce on this one, but I do like Florida at home to cover the 17-and-a-half. There was nothing about what I saw at South Carolina that gave me any confidence they'll be able to score three points. 
I, and I'm sure they'll find a way to do it, but that offense was slow and boring and lacking talent. Coaching decisions were questionable. Nothing about South Carolina inspires me to think that they will be able to keep it close. So Florida, big line, don't care at home. I'll take the Gators. Okay. Hey, Daddy, you got? Uh, gosh, I'm sort of the opposite. I thought South Carolina played better than I thought they would last week. I, I thought Tennessee was going to really roll them. Uh, but that said, Florida's really, really good. they got to have a ton of confidence after what they did last week at Ole Miss. Uh, I'll take the Gators. I don't know what's going on with the connection. Is it better or are we no, no good, Borky? It's okay right now. Serviceable. All right. 38-17 Florida over South Carolina. I will lay the 16-and-a-half and take Florida. Game number two, Missouri at Tennessee. Tennessee is a 12-point favorite at home. Hey, Dad, go first. And then, you know, with Tennessee, I, I thought they would just I thought they would play better than they did last week, uh, and then they didn't. 12 is a lot. I'll, I'll take Missouri. I'll take Missouri and, and take the points. Tennessee still wins, though. Borky? I will also take the points. Um, Missouri didn't show much because there wasn't much to show, but it's a big line, two teams that I don't think are very good. I'm not confident in Tennessee to cover a two-touchdown line, basically, so I'll take the points with Missouri. I'm going the other way from you guys. Um, I think Tennessee at times is really good. They'll be back at home. I don't believe in Missouri right now, and so I will lay the 12 points, which is a relatively big number, and we'll take Tennessee. Texas A&M is at Alabama. Bama is an 18-point favorite. That's the most recent line on this game. I like Alabama to roll big at home. I think this one's got like 42 to 17, 42 to 20 written all over it. Both of those would be enough to cover, so I will take Alabama. Strong agree there. I think this is blowout city written all over it, and it will be Alabama that just dominates from start to finish. And that's what Alabama does when they play Texas A&M. They win big. Uh, they'll, they'll definitely cover. All right. Uh, let's see. Ole Miss at Kentucky. Kentucky, a six-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Yesterday, you heard Lee Sterling pick Kentucky to cover. Today, you heard Bruce Marshall pick Kentucky to cover. I hate it when all of our experts are wrong. Wrong team favored. Ole Miss wins outright tomorrow against Kentucky. They were both off on Kentucky last week, too. And so... My, my, my thought on it is like you should never take the underdog unless you really think they can win the game, and especially if it's under six, double digits. I think Ole Miss can win the game, but I don't think they will win the game. But they'll keep it close, so I'll take the Rebels and take the points, but I think, I think Kentucky wins a close one. I, too, expect a close football game. I think offensive firepower favors Ole Miss, so they make plays late. And even though it's a fewer than a touchdown line, I think uh, an extremely close game, which is what I expect, You've got to take the points when they're there. Auburn is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite against Georgia. I kind of think that Auburn wins the game. Last week I was all over Auburn. 
winning against Kentucky when everybody else was picking Kentucky as a darling underdog. I'm going to go the other way this week. I think Georgia gets it going a little bit more. Like I said, I kind of think that Auburn wins a really close game, but I will take the touchdown plus, the 7.5, and and, uh, take Georgia as the underdog at home. Yeah. I think Georgia's going to win as well. I won't. Go, I won't be emphatic with the wrong team favored on this one, but because I could see Auburn winning, but I think Georgia will win. And if they don't win, it will be super close. So give me the Bulldogs, and I'll uh, I'll take the points. Wait, do I have this wrong? Georgia's not the underdog. Am I looking at that wrong? I'm sorry. Georgia is a seven and a half point favorite. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, ooh, you guys ooh, are you guys are sorry. nuts. Wrong team favored yeah, here. He's screwing us over there. What's going? On? Change it, change it for me. I'll take. I give the points. Yeah, my bad. I, I still think Georgia way. will I win, will but I think Auburn it's going to be close. getting seven and a half points yeah. in this game. I think I think Georgia wins a close game, two or three points. So I'll take Auburn and give and take the points. Yeah. All right, that makes a uh, a big difference. Let's try and get through these last two. I know my connection's a little spotty at this point. Mississippi State, 17-point favorite at home against Arkansas. I like Mississippi State big in this game, and I, I don't even know what score to give you, but I like Mississippi State in the 40s and Arkansas in the teens. Yeah, last week State would have uh, – I mean, it would have been a, a blowout if State had played clean. Uh, I think State will play cleaner against Arkansas. My score on the Thunder and Lightning podcast was Mississippi State 49, Arkansas 24. Uh, so give me the Bulldogs and I will give the points. Yeah, Wouldn't be surprised if it's close there for a little while, if it's kind of a sloppy game early and there's a little hangover, but uh, more explosive offense paired with better roster equals win by more than 17 points. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what to do with this last one. LSU's a 21-point favorite. The total in this game is 50-and-a-half. And that, to me, says that the odds makers think that some points are going to be scored. I don't have confidence in Vanderbilt to score a bunch, and I think LSU will be a little bit better than they were. I don't think LSU blows Vandy away, but I think it's like 35 to 10, 38-17, something like that. I guess 38-17 would be a push. I'm going to take LSU begrudgingly here. LSU and Vanderbilt last week were two like the, the biggest surprise results. Vandy for how well they played in defeat, LSU for how poorly they played. We're going to find out for sure what those teams are in, in this game. If LSU doesn't blow Vanderbilt off the field, then you know that there's some luster off of State's win. But if Vandy, you know, gets blown out, then you think, okay, Texas A&M's just not that good. There's a lot. Of, we're going to learn a lot from this one game. Uh, I'll take the Tigers. I think they'll be motivated. They'll win big. Contrarian here. The doors are going to cover. I have no confidence whatsoever in LSU covering 21 points. Look, Derek Mason, for all the criticism, puts pretty solid, stable defenses on the field. Vanderbilt's going to slow the football game down because that's what they want to do. So it's going to be a, a very fast game as far as like the time it takes to play it. Quick game, slow pace, 21 points. I'll take those points with Vanderbilt. That probably is a smart pick when it's uh, all said and done. So those are your picks this week. I've got Florida, Tennessee, Bama, Ole Miss, Auburn, Mississippi State, and LSU. Uh, Borky and I differ on the LSU-Vanderbilt game. 
and on the uh, Tennessee-Missouri game. That's where I kind of strayed off. Uh, took Tennessee laying the 12 points, both Borky and Haydad had Missouri getting 12 points in that game against Tennessee. And uh, so not a ton of variation. We'll, we'll see how these shake out when we uh, come back and revisit our picks on Monday. Don't forget the C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the conversation, we would love to hear from you. As always, you're certainly a big part of the show. Don't forget about the scoreboard preview show coming up after we finish tonight and the high school scoreboard show for Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Companies, 10 until 11.30 on Super Talk Mississippi. Next Wednesday, it's the world's largest block party, cruising the coast. Join Visit Mississippi on Wednesday in Biloxi as we host the 24th annual Cruising the Coast. And if you don't make it down, the JT Show, guest hosted by Ricky Matthews of Coast View and Steve Azar of In a Mississippi Minute will be broadcasting live from 10 until 1. For more info, visit Cruising the Coast. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. So those connection issues could not be solved. However, if you're watching on the stream, you're going to get something funny for the rest of the show. Oh, just the space. (laughs) I have a couple of screenshots. He is the king of as soon as he says he's done, he, he, he kills it, right? Right. And so there's I've got some funny screenshots. I'm I'm saving them up for a for a collage one day. So a little inside baseball here. Our uh, our stream to get your camera to access the stream so you can see all of our faces. Uh it's a link that you get sent. And so Richard gets sent the link. He clicks it cuz he's in Lexington on the road. It's a little bit easier for me. We've got a camera here in the studio that I never have to touch, but he's in Lexington in a hotel room. And is using his computer camera. When you close down that link, it doesn't turn the picture black. It's just the last image before he got rid of the link. And so if you're watching on stream right now, you see a very unique image of Richard Cross right here. And I could take it down and put something else up, but uh, I'm not going to do that because this picture is going to be there for the rest of the show. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borky. He's Brian Haydad. We did get a text here, and I'll go to a couple of yours when we were going through our picks, but Jake and Laurel said, I think LSU wins huge, and the national media gets back on the LSU bandwagon and moves up six or seven spots in the top 25, unfortunately. I went and looked, because honestly, I haven't looked at the top 25 at all uh, because the season's so whatever. And the college football playoff now is the only thing that matters. I know we, I love to look at the AP poll. Uh, people like to use that as a gauge. But the only poll that matters is the college football playoff poll, which has not come out for a while. They wait until they get to see the teams a few times before they start ranking them. What a novel concept. Right now, in the AP poll, Mississippi State is only four spots ahead of LSU, who is still currently ranked. I think you had, there were five or six people who just straight up did not rank Mississippi State after last week, and then there were two or three more who ranked LSU ahead of Mississippi State. So I just, you know, just one of those things that it doesn't make any sense, and you get you get people who just aren't paying attention. You know, that's one of the reasons I don't, I, not that I've been offered, but if I was, I wouldn't want to do that. 
because I, I especially football would be one thing. I could I feel like my, my vote would at least be competent. I would never want to do college basketball because I just don't watch enough games. But you know, you've got to if you're going to take that 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 responsibility on. To me, you should you should owe it to your yourself and your and your readers and the people who who follow this stuff to be informed. And if if you don't if you don't want to rank Mississippi State, that's fine. But you better not rank LSU too. Yeah. And a lot of people, and that's what most people were doing. So yeah, that doesn't make any sense. In reality, if you just base it off of what you saw this season, State should probably be closer to the top ten. And LSU, you know, should be maybe a little bit lower, but you, but you could make a a case that hey, we thought that Brennan was going to be you know serviceable. It doesn't look like he is, you know. And of course, they could rebound in a few weeks and be you know four and one or whatever. But for example, so North Carolina is. is four spots ahead of Mississippi State, each of whom have only played one game. North Carolina right. was a home win over a bad Syracuse team in which they struggled for three and a half quarters. Why is North Carolina ranked ahead of Mississippi State? And on top of that, um. I know I, I've said that I wasn't exactly impressed by Tennessee, but LSU's ahead of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Tennessee won their game on the road. Why? It's just... It's so stupid. There's a, a lot of, of poll voting, in my opinion, is brand name stuff. It, it's people see LSU and they just, okay, that's they, they, should, be, they should be ahead of Mississippi State. Ten times out of ten, doesn't really matter what the uh, you know. I mean, it's, it's just Oklahoma is ranked uh, 18th. Yeah, I mean they've they've beaten a bad FCS team and then they lost at home to a Kansas State team that lost to a Sun Belt team. So you know why are they ranked that high? Well, because they're Oklahoma. Whereas BYU has dominated both teams it's played, and they're 22nd. It's just but. nonsense. And Jake, I mean. How much does LSU? If LSU wins by thirty-five, and Mississippi State has to kick a last-second field goal to beat Arkansas, what happens then? How close are they then? Oh, I bet LSU would jump them. To be honest with you, see, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I, would, I would. I would bet the house on that. To be totally honest with you, I mean, what, it's, it's State is sixteenth and LSU's twentieth. State wins a close one against Arkansas. LSU wins big. I mean, at worst, they're like 17-18 or something like that. Or State, State might I mean, not drop, but LSU would move up to 17. Yeah, and then like Sean and Grenada, who I believe is our resident Georgia fan here, is calling out his own team, saying Oklahoma was, Oklahoma was three and Georgia was and still is number four. How can you watch what Georgia did on Saturday and think that they are better than even a Notre Dame? How is Georgia better than Notre Dame right now? Texas A&M is 13th. Yeah, after beating what? Vanderbilt by five. How is Mississippi what? State? I mean, Mississippi State should definitely be ahead of Texas A&M based off the week one stuff. Now, granted, if, you, if you're if you a poll voter who likes to, like, look, I really try to do my poll that I'm trying to extrapolate towards the whole season. Okay, and you think A&M is long-term better than Mississippi State, that's fine. But that better be your reasoning. You better hold to that reasoning the whole year. You know, if 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 Alabama blows Texas A&M out, is that really you know, are you really going to lower Texas A&M that much because they got blown out by a better team? I don't know. We the text that says we we misunderstand the polls. It's supposed to be a theoretical projection of where they think the teams will end the season. I've never heard that. Well, if if that's the case then then why is Oklahoma 18th? Because Oklahoma's not going to finish, you know, 6 and 4. See, the poll should be done. If we're going to do stuff like this, it's the same thing with the Heisman. If we're going to give an award, do it right. 
if we're going to do a poll, do it right. There were people that had LSU still ranked ahead of Mississippi State after their win. That's not doing the poll right. Because in no way, shape, or form can anybody watch that game last Saturday and tell you, make any legitimate argument at all, any legitimate argument that LSU is a better football team deep down than Mississippi State. Nobody can make that argument legit. So if we're going to do this crap, do it right. Yeah, it's just... It really is, you know, pollsters might be a little bit like referees, right? Maybe they should, and some of them do. Some of them will come out on the Sunday after, like, here's my poll, here's why I voted the way I did. And if you call them out on something, they'll they'll explain it on social media. And the, I, kudos to those people, uh, the ones that don't do that. You know, if you if you're a college basketball fan, Gary Parish, he does the poll attacks uh, every week, and he you know he finds people who they do bad polls, and he calls them out on it. So maybe maybe there's maybe there's a market there. I should get into that for football. David and Blake both say that it should be a week-to-week thing. You should rank teams based on what you've seen. And, I agree. And I, that's how I would go about it if I were doing the polls. For example, uh, UCF, I so would, would have you, higher. Would you rank the Big Ten teams yet? Or no. the Pac-12 teams yet? That's another thing to consider when you look at, at this poll. Um, I mean, Ohio State is, is sixth. And uh, I had the poll up a second ago. Penn State uh, ten, uh, yeah. Oregon Oregon is, 14. is in the top twelve. Yeah, so I mean, if you take those teams out, well, then you know, obviously it looks a little different. Mississippi State's probably like what seventh, eighth, something like yeah. that. So that's how it should be. And asking be a lot of movement in the poll this week. Now that you look at it, though, with Georgia oh, yeah. and Auburn playing, Texas A and M playing uh, Alabama, I mean, or attempting to anyway. Yeah, if State has a big win, they could jump up into the top 12 range. That's uh, certainly not out of the realm of possibility. I think, doesn't Cincinnati have a tough one this weekend as well? Admittedly, I have not looked at any other conference besides the SEC. I'm sure you guys understand that. Yeah. Let me look that up. We have we have a, a device. They have South Florida. Interesting-ish. Well, not, 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 not a tough game. Didn't Notre Dame just ro- roll South Florida off yeah, the field? Yeah, it was like 52-3 to three so, yeah, or maybe, something maybe like that. They have Tulsa next week, though, who you know, traded punches a little bit with uh, Oklahoma State, who's 17th somehow. So Yeah, the slate away from the SEC is not one that you should be particularly excited about. It really is weird to see all the this, to look at the poll and see these teams that are, it's, I mean, it's September, it's October the 2nd, only seems 2-0, and 1-0. There's a there's a, there's one three and zero. Miami is three and zero. You've got a bunch of zero and zero teams. Anybody else three and zero? Pittsburgh is three and zero. Those are the only teams that have played three games even. So, you know what would be really funny, and I don't think it's going to happen because Jacksonville State wasn't particularly good last year. But if Jacksonville State goes to Tallahassee and beats Florida State this weekend to drop the Knolls to zero and three, I mean, I'm just saying. That's a rebuild, man. Florida State is a rebuild. I I hope that Norvell, when he took that job, was able to convey that message that, hey, I'm not here just to do this in one year. This is going to take some time. Because Taggart didn't get any time. So, you know, I'm interested to see what happens year two if they're still struggling a little bit. Does he get get the axe? Get a text here that says, I think LSU will end the season with a better record than Mississippi State. I'm not the only one. I I mean, that's entirely possible. But... That's a. They have to make some stark improvements, and some that I, I don't think they'll be able to make in the course of a season. Honestly, you don't lose that much. 
and just snap your fingers and be a great football team again. You just don't. And that's the situation they're in right now. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.